Hello, this is Father Bill Watson with Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast. Hello, this is Father Bill Watson with Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast, and today our guest is Jesuit Father Mitch Pacwa. In the year 2000, Father Pacwa established Ignatius Productions, a Catholic media production apostolate under the Society of Jesus whose mission is to teach people the scriptures, educate Catholics about their faith, and promote unity and understanding within the mystical body of Christ. Father Pacwa received his B.A. in philosophy and theology from the University of Detroit, summa cum laude. He was ordained a Catholic priest in 1976 with the Society of Jesus and then continued his studies and received his Master of Divinity and his STB from the Jesuit School of Theology, of Loyola University, and that was magna cum laude. At Vanderbilt University, he received his Master of Arts as well as his Ph.D. in Old Testament. Father Pacwa has taught at the high school level, universities, seminaries. He has lectured at hundreds of conferences and churches around the world. He is best known for his appearances on the EWTN television network, where he currently hosts two programs, Threshold of Hope and EWTN Live, been with him on that show any number of times. Father Pacwa also serves as the weekly host of EWTN Radio Open Line Program. Father Pacwa is fluent in 12 languages and has a unique understanding of the peoples and cultures of the Middle East. Father's extensive travels to the Holy Land has inspired him to write the Holy Land Prayer Book, which has been published by his Jesuit apostolate, Ignatius Productions, in 2004, and can be used as a prayer book guide for any pilgrim traveling to the Holy Land. Father Pacwa also has the privilege of being bi-ritual, which means that he celebrates the Marianite Mass of the Eastern Catholic Church as well as the Latin Rite. Father Pacwa is the best-selling author of books, including Praying the Gospels, Jesus' Miracles in Galilee, Mercy, a Bible Study Guide for Catholics, Praying the Gospels, Jesus Launches His Ministry, Mary, Virgin Mother and Queen, a Bible Study Guide for Catholics, and The Holy Land, an Armchair Pilgrimage. Father Pacwa wrote one of the most highly recommended books by the Vatican on the New Age movement called Catholics and the New Age, How Good People Are Being Drawn into Jungian Psychology and the Enneagram and the Age of Aquarius. And the first part of our show will be a little background origins on his growing up, his uh, vocation to the Jesuits and some of the early things that caught his attention in the 60s and 70s when he was in formation. Father Mitch Pacwa, this is uh, Bill Watson. Very happy that you are able to be here with us on Sacred Story Institute Jesuit podcast today. It's a privilege and honor for me as well to be with y'all. Can you uh, begin us with a prayer for people who are listening? Sure, sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we praise you and bless you and give glory to your holy name. We thank you for calling us to be followers and disciples of St. Ignatius of Loyola. We ask that we always be faithful sons of your church in the society of Jesus and that we might always seek to give greater glory and honor to you and to be available for 
the benefit of the spiritual life and salvation of our neighbor. And we dedicate all that we do, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Amazing. Thank you very much. Amen. So uh, I met you uh, in person when I was doing my first EWTN live with you. So that was the first time mm -hmm. it actually, actually, no, that was the second time because I saw you give a talk in uh, a church in Vancouver, Washington. So we had met, uh, and that was when I was, I believe I was at Jesuit High School. So, uh, but my first time actually in a conversation with you was at EWTN. But I want to go back to some of your origin story. You were in a diocesan seminary high school. Yes. Uh, thinking in Chicago, Quigley, Correct. I believe the name of it, Archbishop Quigley, and you were desiring to become a diocesan priest. What happened? You know, my family had moved to Chicago and from uh, living in Florida for a number of years, went to Catholic school. And while preparing for my first Holy Communion, I, you know, found this uh, attraction to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And it, it seemed, on one hand, I was attracted to missionary work. I had looked a little bit at the divine word missionaries, and I had seriously considered joining the Josephite, the SSJ, Society of St. Joseph. They were dedicated to ministry to African-Americans. Interesting. There were very few uh, African-American Catholics, and that was itself something of a scandal to me, but also these were the times of the beginnings of the civil rights movement in public. It, of course, it begun much earlier, but in terms of public awareness, uh, it, this the early 60s and late 50s were when I became aware of it. And, you know, I'd lived in the segregated South for five and a half years of my er very early childhood. Okay. And I, I found it just one of the most stupid things that you could ever do to, to be bigoted along racial lines. So, you know, I was attracted to the, the Josephites and they had a minor seminary, but my parents, I, I could see that was a hard line that I was not going to leave home at age 14. Uh, Mitch, for a listening audience who have no experience of the segregated South, can you just give one scenario of oh, what sure. it was like? Sure. Uh, we lived in uh, a trailer park. My dad was a truck driver, and we had to travel around the country quite a bit. And sometimes we just hitched up the trailer and moved our home with us, say, for instance, to Colorado and to Wilmington, Delaware and to Cleveland, Ohio. So I, I went to six schools in first and second grade alone. My goodness. A lot, lot of upheaval. But in, you know, one of the places where we lived, there was a coral wall that was real common in those days to make walls out, uh, out of coral cemented together that separated us. And just across this prairie was black neighborhood. And the grammar school I attended was equidistant from the black kids as it was from us, mm -hmm. but they weren't allowed to go. That was uh -huh. one of the most clear things. And I'll never forget one time a circus had asked to spend the night 
at the trailer park where we lived. And their fee was to do a program for, you know, of, with, with sure. the lions. They just did the lions. And so they were setting up and I just was enjoying myself. Well, you know, the black kids came and sat along the wall watching all this and i started talking to them and interacting and just it just seemed totally normal but that was one of the rare times you had an opportunity to speak to blacks down in miami that's where we were living at the time so it that would be uh, to me one classic example there were, were a few others but that would be one of the most clear that kind of captures it very good yeah. thank you yeah and so, at any rate, uh, I was attracted to the Josephites, and my parents certainly were very, very clear. They did not allow bigotry and the language of bigotry in the house. My brother said uh, uh, an inappropriate word for black people, and I think <laughs> New York cabbies honk at a green light slower than my mother cracked his face for saying that. <laughs> So, well, that's good. And Did I just that talked that up. That was one more word that you don't say. I had another list that uh, I got soap in the mouth for, but that was another word that you just don't say. Um, Did that come from their own sense of kind of being uh, socially conscious, or was it from their deep Catholic faith, or a combination of both that they would not allow that? Them. You know, we're Polish Americans, and Polish people were called uh, derogatory names. That never settled well. We're very proud of that. Uh, my grandparents, who came from the old country, were alive until, let's see, my grandmother died when I was almost 40. And I knew my great grandmother on my mother's side, but she came from the old country. We had no like for derogatory terms about us. You don't do it to other people. That was, it was. Basically, you know, the, the silver rule, don't do to others what you don't like yourself. Very good. Yeah, Very no. good. Good so parents. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, they were. In the face, they would not. And I think they were wise in not letting me go off to a minor seminary where I lived far away from home in a, in a city quite distant from Chicago. So my compromise was to push for going to the minor seminary for the Archdiocese of Chicago, and I was willing to be a diocesan priest. Um, you went, did, you do, did you do four years there? I did. I did. Okay. Now, my father had very much opposed my vocation. Um, by the time I was 12, he saw that I was serious about it, oh. and he was already trying to argue with me. One time he said, why do you want to be a priest? You don't have to be a priest to help people. You can be a doctor. And I said to him, well, Dad, if I were a doctor, I'd be good, make people feel better. But later on, they're going to die anyway. If I'm a priest and I hear their confession and they go to heaven, then that lasts forever. So it's a better deal. At that point, my dad was also selling used cars. So I had the same mentality, you know, talking about making a good deal. So then, uh, and he didn't know what to say, but when I, I was in eighth grade and applied to Quigley, Quigley was very strict in its acceptance uh, on academic levels. So I had to take an entrance exam and I had to sneak out of the house to do it. He caught me at the church parking lot, but 
parish priest was already there and said, ah, just let him try it. Well, dad didn't talk to me for days after that. He was mad and stayed mad um, that I went. Now, this also meant... That did he pay for it? Was he paying for it? He the did. Seminary? He did pay the tuition, which was okay. not much in those days. That was $175 a year to, okay. to go to high school. It was really a good, a good, good price. But, you know... I worked, I'd worked for him for a while. Uh, another one of his businesses was putting white walls on black wall tires. And I used to take the, the tires off the cars at auto dealerships and he would bake on these white walls. So I was working with him and then I got a job in high school at, at a catering hall. Chicago has all these big system of catering halls for all the weddings. People used to get married back in those days to each other. Right. And so <laughs> <To> each other. <laughs> yeah. And I knew uh, as a sophomore that there was no money to be made from the interest rate at the bank. So putting in the bank didn't offer much possibility of working the money. So when I was 15, I started investing the money in the stock market. Oh, good for you. No, you and it, Father, no, Spitzer, Father Spitzer did the same thing, right? Did he? Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. legal because, you know, I was underage. But in Chicago, you can always find somebody, you know, and I did. And there was a banker who uh, made me promise that I wouldn't sue him if I lost my money. But I said, look, this is the risk I'm willing to take. And it's my responsibility. So I started investing in the stock market. And I came to love the stock market. I really did. I, this was just fascinating to me. And nice. in fact, I won second prize at the uh, uh, my, uh, junior year. I won second prize um, in the science fair at school for my display explaining the stock market. Nice. And how it works. So, so I really was into this. But then that same year, I began to question this because... I could see myself moving towards such a fascination with this that it would put my priestly ministry on a back burner while I focused on my portfolio. You were going to the minor seminary at the time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, very good. Yeah. This was something I cogitated. And then one of the priests in the parish even said to me, you ought to really consider religious life. And I said, no, no, I didn't. But it, that just put a little seed there. And mm -hmm. he, he liked me, you know, he want, but he could see that, you know, I might be more oriented toward that. And I'll never forget it was uh, as at Christmas time, my junior year of high school, I, I just said to myself, I'm not going to be a diocesan priest. It was like this sentence came out of my mouth that I didn't <laughs> put there. <laughs> and it, God, God put later, it there, right? <laughs> yeah. Three days later, said I'm going to be a Jesuit, and it was another sentence I didn't feel like I had put there, but it still came out my mouth. Did you have any uh, interplay with the Society of Jesus at that no, time? No, none. I'd never seen a Jesuit in my life, and the <laughs> only two contacts I had with the Society uh, in terms of education were that in third grade, we got to, they were giving out free tickets to see a movie 
about St. Ignatius Loyola. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that it was St. Ignatius until I was a novice. So it didn't wow. really have any kind of impact in favor of the society, but it was a movie done in Spain for the 400th anniversary of the death of Ignatius. And it wasn't great cinematography, but it you know, gave the, the life of Ignatius. And the only parts I really remembered were the Battle of Pamplona and playing billiards with St. Francis Xavier. <laughs> So you can say your your vocation uh, to the society really did come from God. Let me go back to, to the age 14. What inspired you at the age of 14 to say, I want to be a priest? Well, I'd actually felt the call and made that, I'm going to, I want to be a priest when I was eight. Interesting. Interesting. Was, that, was it a spiritual experience, intellectual conviction, both? Um, I'm not so sure that as an eight-year-old, I had much of either. <laughs> intellect or spiritual life but it right. what it was is you know having gone to those six public schools sure. which were all good I, I had zero complaints about the schools i went to zero uh -huh. they were fine i was a bit behind the other students at the catholic school when i came to saint priscilla's but you know that was partly due to moving around so much but I was really impressed with the way, the difference in the way the sisters clearly loved us kids. Now, they weren't gushy, warm, you know, super emotive people, but you could tell that they loved us sure. in a different way than the public school teachers. And again, they loved it. They were, they were good to us. I had no complaints about the teachers. but. The sisters were different. Probably sensed their dedication, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, I had a crush on Sister Cordelia, my third grade teacher. Uh, she was pretty. But the... <laughs> <laughs> pretty but name, the, too. Cordelia, right. Yeah. And then the priests also were quite admirable. You know, I, I really admire them. And so right as I was making my first Holy Communion... In May of third grade, that would have been 1958, I said, I, I think I should be a priest. I, it just, And I never changed my mind since. Up mm. to that point, the only thing I wanted to do was be a cowboy. Um, <laughs> some people say that I still haven't quite given that up. <laughs> well, well, the first time, first time we met at EWTN, you did have your cowboy boots on and your cowboy hat. And after well, that's dinner, pretty you much what I wear every day. Do you mind if we go out to the store and buy some hog bait? So here we are in our clerics, and you in your cowboy hat, and we're in the gun section of the outdoor store trying to find the hog bait. So yeah. I felt like I was part of that cowboy dream there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, matter of fact, just this uh, about uh, three weeks ago, I shot two hogs. Very good. Very good. You're quite the avid hunter. So I've yeah. been in your living room with all of your trophies. So it's great. Well, it, so uh, I've given up most of being a cowboy, but maybe okay, not okay. all. Go back to entering the society. It was a time of kind of great foment in the late 60s. Sure. You were sure. ordained a priest in 1976. Mm -hmm. So what was going on in your life at that time? What were you thinking? What was forming in you as you were looking out at the culture at that time? Well, a, a couple things. One, you know, when I was in the high school seminary, the Vatican Council was still going on. In fact, 
it finished and then the documents were published in English and that's what we used for our senior year textbook we started reading those and all sorts of new ideas were being brought out and the possibility of all kinds of options were being laid out people were talking about having mass at home and things like that of course i watched the transition from all latin mass which i learned how to serve and then when i was a junior part of the mass was in english and then more of the mass was in it, it they introduced english gradually secondly society was going through tremendous changes i already mentioned the civil rights movement that was right. very big and the, there was a, a chicago priest who had been shot at selma shot in the arm he didn't they didn't kill him but he got shot it was a very violent reaction in the deep south but also there was a lot of violent reaction to dr king coming to chicago sure and so that was one element and i said this is something that we also have to work on changing people's hearts and minds in regard to civil rights many of the people in my neighborhood were quite bigoted and the last thing they wanted was to have african americans move in that was the tone of the mid 60s and late 60s in fact i'd gone to loyola university chicago and in april of my freshman year dr king was assassinated and there were huge riots in chicago with shoot to kill orders coming from mayor daly and it was preparing the way for the democratic convention riot sure. later that summer uh, after the assassination right. of bobby kennedy it was just a, a difficult social situation with the anti-war movement increasing as well right right um in fact i think it was about 66 67 that the african-american community began arguing within itself about pushing for integration or for black separatism. Mm. And you had Stokely Carmichael and Eldridge Cleaver and others opposing Dr. King. Mm. And mm. so there was tension and a lot of white people started protesting the war instead because right. they didn't know where to land. This was a, a decision that African-Americans had to deal with in their own discussion so the war protests were becoming increased and the sexual revolution and the drug revolution were getting underway all this change is going on at once in the late 60s and i entered the society a week before the democratic well as a matter of fact just as the democratic convention riots were beginning I entered on August 21st, 1968, and we were learning about the riots from reports by the fathers. We, we didn't, we weren't allowed to watch television or listen to radio. We didn't have a radio or a television at the Novitiate. So we only heard, you know, little bits of reports. So 
tremendous change in society is going on. Sure. Secondly, sure. the society was beginning to undergo the changes of the Vatican Council. The master novices changed hands the day I entered. So the class that were my second year novices, as we call them in society, my secundi, they had a more traditional novitiate training. And then we had a psychologist, a professor of experimental psychology. He wasn't, you know, a psychiatrist or anything. He he did more uh, watching rats and mazes kind of work. But he brought in a psychological perspective that had not been very strong prior and tried to integrate psychology and spirituality. But he was opting for existentialist psychology that would have been people like Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow, Eric Erickson, Eric Fromm. These were the psychologists he began reading and reflecting on in the division. And he was taking a different stance towards vocation and discernment by which you had to prove to him that you did have a vocation. Well, before that, you had to prove that you did not. And that was one of the big differences in the Vishit. And he stated that himself. That wasn't my interpretation. That was his statement of policy. So that when I was my first year novitiate, and uh, right before Thanksgiving, we had 31 novices. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, 17 out of the 31 novices left the society. Amazing. And they called it the Christmas cleanup of 68. The rest of the province was outraged. They were furious with him that so many men were leaving. The provincial trusted him for another couple of years with the bishop, but then he didn't continue on. He was quite hurt by that, in fact. But I think it wasn't all him. It was also this cultural change going on, changes in the church, and this psychologization. Then, in addition, he wanted to force the province to move the novitiate into Chicago. He didn't want us to be out in the country, but to be urbanized. Mm -hmm. And this was another big change. The idea of living in the country was to have a time of quiet and reflection, whereas our master and novices wanted us to be in the hubbub of the city and understand where we were going to work. Can we take a pause here, Mitch? And uh, when we come back for our, part, our second part, I'd like sure. to continue uh, this uh, cultural change and have you address a book that you wrote in 1992, which is highly recommended by the Vatican on New Age movement called Catholics in the New Age, how good people are being drawn into Jungian psychology, the Enneagram, and the Age of Aquarius. So when we come back, can we pick up with that? Sure. This has been Sacred Story Institute Jesuit Podcast with Father Bill Watson. If you liked our program, please subscribe to our podcast channel. 
and may God bless you.